Indie Pals. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of Super Nando's Pals. Uh, this week, we'll be answering pressing questions such as, is extra hot actually hot? And could you have a bath in peri-peri sauce? Uh... Crap, that's, uh, that's the other podcast. Uh, welcome to Super Indie Files, everybody. Uh, my name is Chris Jeffrey. My name is Jay Armstrong. I'm Jim. Talk about a ridiculous intro. How good was that? Yeah, it was good, mate. It was really good. Not bad. I liked it. Thanks. Uh, it was prepared. It was prepared. I think the other podcast sounds more interesting than this one. <laughs> the Super Nando's Pals. Yeah, can we just talk about chicken for the rest of the time? Dude, I'm, I'm down for that. Uh, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good for talking chicken. So this week uh, we're going to talk about Mochi London, uh, which happened two weeks ago. Uh, if you don't know what Mochi London is, it's an indie games community event that I organise, and it's pretty cool. And you better have turned up, otherwise I'm not your friend. Um, so yeah, uh, we're going to recap on it and some of the presentations that that happened on the day and kind of what we thought of them. So yeah. Um, so yeah, the first the first talk was was by uh, Tony Lavelle, who. I've worked with quite a lot in the, in the past. We've done like four or five games together. We mentioned it on another episode previously, actually. Um, and yeah, he basically was talking about his experiences. He's just he used to make games for Armor Games, uh, and now he's moved to Rebellion Studios, who are kind of a much bigger studio. Uh, and he's basically just talking about his experiences working there uh, on a bigger team. Um, and yeah, it was, it was really interesting, actually. Like he was kind of couldn't talk about a lot of stuff because he was under uh, NDAs and all that. Pretty NDAs. But it sounded like there, there was a sort of the project that he's working on at the moment. There's a lot of pressure coming from outside uh, companies like the publisher, who uh, the way he put it was a massive company who pretty much dominate Facebook <laughs> social gaming at the moment. So it's pretty obvious who. That I wonder is. who they are. Uh, it all but said it. Didn't he? he did actually say. He did actually say Zynga. So uh, I mean. Ooh, bro. <laughs> nah, man, he didn't say he anything. Didn't. He didn't mention anything at all. Uh, he was very good. It must have been quite hard, though. But it was, it was, it was interesting. And he was also like talking about how indie developers are a big advantage at the moment because uh, it's a lot easier to make games. It's a lot easier to fund stuff, and there are more and more platforms opening up. Um, you know, it's, it's getting more easier and easier to get games on Steam, and we have stuff like Ouya and GameStick, which you can. Indies can publish, and even like uh, PS4 and Xbox One now are kind of supposedly a lot easier to get games on. So it was basically, yeah, just saying that at, at the moment it's actually a really good time to be indie, which I guess was been uh, there for a while. Though. Encouraging. It has been that for a while, but I, I think like especially with the whole like PS4 and Xbox One thing, you know, they seem to be actively embracing indie development. Mm, it's kind of kicked uh, it a bit. It's great to get a bit of good news after all like. So, so much dominance of like oh Flash is going out oh, no, this what's going to happen and there's way too much but it's nice <laughs> to hear someone go actually it's a good time to be doing what you're doing and that was really refreshing uh, yeah. just maybe not Flash <laughs> <laughs> no, not, not necessarily Flash but to be an indie developer and that, that was really good and it was great hearing from him having been both an in, independent or an indie he hasn't I don't think well, he's not indie at the moment but I think he's not, I don't know if he's actually ever been indie making games for himself well, I think he started off that way, and then he sort of got employed by Army, didn't he? Uh, and he was still making small indie-style games. I guess, I mean, are Army games independent? I guess they kind of are. You know, I They're guess, I like... guess they are really. But I guess it's a different thing, though, because you're making games for someone else. Yeah, but he still made the games he wanted to make, and I think he would have made the same games whether or not he was technically employed by Armor or, or working independently. 
but yeah, no, it was really good, and it was really good to finally meet him, actually, because, yeah, again, like, I've done a lot of work with him in the past, but I've never actually met him, so it was really super, super nice guy, uh, so it was really cool to finally put, put a face to the name. <laughs> I still like his Riot Games jokes, like, Colin's totally getting the blame for that, putting Riot Games on the, on the slide, it's pretty rebellion. Oh, what? The- yeah, so he, well, he works. He works. He works at Rebellion, right? And then, uh, so Co- like, not me and Colin didn't do the schedule. It's totally my fault. And Colin rushed the schedule. Yeah. So Colin like ro- rushed uh, the schedule while he was like just about to board a flight or something, and he couldn't think of where Tony worked at. Um, so he just put Riot Games, which are the guys that make League of Legends, and Tony obviously doesn't work with them so like he, I think there was like two jokes that he put in uh, his talk he was like um, I, I can't speak on behalf of Riot Games which is pretty funny <laughs> yeah well I didn't actually notice that but uh, <laughs> really? at least you brought it to everyone's <laughs> everybody noticed <laughs> that it was funny oh, I don't know I was in a it's funny like as soon as you mentioned it I emailed Colin and I was like did you put Riot Games he was like yeah oops <laughs> but it's my fault for not doing the schedule yeah, it's all your fault so but I didn't write Riot Games is my point. Like, I think that's a good thing. I didn't write it. Oh, you get the blame. So, so who else? Who else gave talks then, eh? Um, next, uh, I'll talk about Reese Millage. Um, oh, super yeah. cool guy who made Icicle and Wonderpus. Um, so yeah, he talked about amazing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, dude, so so good. So he talked about uh, Icicle on Thin Ice, like his game that's just coming out with Chilingo. Um, I think it's coming out. It's not out yet. Yeah, no, it's um, not, yeah. So yeah, he like he showed us a lot of cool stuff under the hood, um, a lot of stuff going on in ES2 and on the timeline, um, which I guess it's nice to see old school. Um, it was really surprising to see that he made that game in ES2, like the way he made it, but it obviously works and the results are absolutely amazing. And it make it, I guess it makes sense the way that he made it as well, like how everything was was layered within each other, like for the hits and stuff. Like it still looked clean, and you could work with it. It wasn't like everything was all over the place. Yeah, I can imagine it being really hard to make something like that, sort of in Unity or something that isn't timeline based. Yeah, I think so too. But that game looked so good, and he got he showed us a lot of cool stuff about it, and he showed us a lot of gameplay. Played, played it was a lot really of inspirational to, to to see. I think because he had been a sort of um, he'd come from a more professional sort of animation studio I guess Chris you probably know the details a little more but it was clear that he just knew what he was doing and to see him you know what he could achieve in Flash with the same tools that we had I just found like pretty pretty inspiring Mm -hmm. yeah it was also really interesting that he's uh so he built the game in ActionScript 2 and all like a lot of the animation and it's a very heavily animation based game but a lot of the animation is like on the timeline but he's still managed to get the game ported over to iOS and Android uh, running pr- on I think he said it runs on I- iPad 2 not the first one but even then it's still it's kind of I, I, I'm surprised that he managed I to I feel sorry for the, the person who ported it because literally that's like <laughs> line by line hunting in movie clips for codes <laughs> that'd be the worst yeah. job ever he talked about his sound designer, um, and he played like a funny clip with his voice actor, and it was really good to hear someone who'd sort of got the sound specifically for every situation. Whereas, like for what I've always done, is just sort of have like you know the, the, the swoosh sound, the smack sound, and often we use them. But to, to like, it was just really great to see the level of polish that went into his games. And he also went went over the, uh, he did like an intro animation to the game, which introduces the game and like 
showed the same intro but with like four or five different pieces of music that you'd like. And that was really interesting how the, the, the music can change the tone so much. And, and all of the different bits of music to me sounded really good but some of them did seem more suitable yeah. and it's just, it's really, it was really good to see like, obviously they put a hell of a lot of work into making it as good as possible and even though the first bit of music that they played along to it was really good they weren't happy with it until they found what was perfect yeah. and the thing is with music like music's totally underrated in games I think like a lot of people just skimp oh, yeah. out and get some royalty free music but like paying a sound guy is like the best thing you could ever do because like the, the, the outcome that you get in the end is just so much better and so much suited to your game and like it lifts your game up just that extra notch yeah it sounds can be hugely important if you think about like games like Mario and I don't know how infectious those games would have been without the music I mean I can't imagine Mario without that music do you know what I mean and when you mention Mario music now it's playing in my head cheers man yeah. as soon as you said that's, it that's the power of music right <laughs> okay moving swiftly on next up we had Matt Roshak um, better wise known as Kupo 707 or Matt Like Swords uh, he came on stage and blessed us with a post-mortem of his incredible game Epic Battle Fantasy 4 otherwise known as EBF4. Uh, he went through, he was very candid, he was very honest, he went through like the the, um, the the process he went through and the feedback he got, which sounded like it was, you know, overwhelmingly positive. One of the great things he said was that he opened it up to players um, and every little thing he did, he'd have players test it. And that kind of ended up with a really, really polished game. Um, yeah, that was really interesting, especially like the sort of breakdown of, how he made his money because it's all I, feel, I always find it interesting like seeing games that are that successful and that he said during his talk that it was like for a long time was the best rated game on Congregate like, and people like Congregate players absolutely love it uh, so it's like hugely successful um, it's really interesting seeing a breakdown of exactly like how he made his money with that it was nice so to see the actual, the actual money because a lot of time people would just give us percentages yeah. so it was nice to actually have the concrete figures yeah yeah yeah, and it was like it was interesting because he put like a he did put in in app purchases in the game. He did put in app purchases in the purchases. game. Uh, <laughs> but they weren't. They weren't. Um, they weren't like, they weren't like necessarily, necessarily extra content, extra content or, like, or like sort of pay to win or anything. Win or anything. It, was like, it was like sort of small little bonuses, like extra weapons, are covered with extra moves. And he charged seven dollars for it, uh, and he actually ended up making nearly as much with those in-app purchases as he did with the primary It was like 28k wasn't it? Yeah I think he made like 28k just from these like $7 in-app purchases and he also said that a lot of people sort of said that they they just bought it to support him really yeah. and he's obviously like really good with the community He's got a big community around like, his game Yeah he posts a lot of stuff up on DeviantArt like demos so people can test it and give their feedback and obviously it's a massively successful series anyway and people obviously appreciate all the time he puts into those games he does spend a lot of time on his games um, so yeah it was kind of interesting and sort of made a big point of saying that community can be hugely uh, important yeah. especially if you're like if you are asking for sort of seven dollars for a small in-app purchase which isn't going to sort of add hours of content onto the game but it's just a little bonus that if you really like the game you can sort of pay that bit of money and support the developer it's a big game as well it's though, like and it's only a, yeah, it's, it's only a flash game as well like and he mentioned that he tried to get it on steam and the fact that he's got like this huge community i i actually thought that it'd be really easy for him to get on steam um but the fact that 
he, he was kind of putting the same game on Steam um, as the Flash version, which people have accessed for free. Like that kind of shot him in the foot as well. Like he didn't really get the the Steam yeah. thing now, but now he's um, I think he's like 28 in the list now um, for a Steam launch. Really? So like Steam have been doing big uh, big green lights. So like they've been green lighting like I think it was like 40 or something games maybe. Um, in, I thought it was like a hundred. Oh, sorry. So it might be. It might be even longer. It might be even bigger. Um, yeah, I was. They definitely sped that up. But yeah, like they've uh, they've been greenlighting a lot of games. So like it's kind of put him put him up there. So like the next greenlight he could possibly get on Steam, which is awesome news for for the I guess yeah. for the Flash developers. Like it, it definitely was interesting. Like the fact that he released the game for free and that did kind of cannibalize the. Steam votes to some degree. But it I would. think if he had, if he had never released that game on Flash, and he had just said, right, for this one, I'm just going straight for Steam. That huge community would have been all over that, and they exactly. would have paid ten dollars for to play the game and download it, play it full screen. So that may well have been a more successful uh, like business strategy. I think so too. But is is a Flash developer like? We're all we're all like that yeah. to an extent. You kind of you're used to what you're used to, and you just go along with it, right? Like you don't kind of think about the out of box kind of stuff, and especially Matt, like he hadn't done any mobile stuff or anything, so like he hadn't really ventured out of that typical flash kind of deal. So like obviously he was gonna he was gonna take that flash deal and not think of anything else. Oh yeah, I can totally understand why he did that, but at the same time something to bear in mind if you have a series that's that successful and there are that many people who like really want the next game and have already like supported it throughout development it might be a, a, a much better option to actually just skip out yeah I, th- I think that's what I would have done because it's a huge game man it's like what did he say like 20 hours or something <laughs> something oh, like yeah, I, yeah. I, I don't, I've, only, I've only played it for a bit but 20 hours in a flash game man seriously like you can sell that straight away he deserves it as well. The amount of de- uh, attention to detail he puts Games into everything is just amazing. I think it was also worth noting that uh, he actually got offered a a primary, a primary or exclusive, I can't remember, but he, he got offered a primary license that was a lot higher than what he actually ended up making on the performance-based deal. It was 50k. It was 50k and he ended up making like 30. I think it was 30, yeah. But so I guess that, was, that 50k I mean, deal, you never know if that had... Um, in-app purchases as well. If it did, then... But again, that's the thing about uh, the game being very long. Was what something he said was that it probably was more of a sort of Steam game rather than a Flash game because it's it's such a long game. Yeah. Actually, in some yeah. ways, um, it might have been it might have might have had slightly less, lower performance than expected because it demands yeah. so much of players. And he had some issues with them. Um, players losing saves and I suppose after a while that just becomes quite frustrating so for a game that big yeah you, you don't want to play it for six hours and then lose your save because that sucks and it was totally not his fault either it was something to do with congregates uh, well that was one of them but the other ones kind of people just clear the clear the cash and clear the cookies every now and again like you don't expect like flash games typically aren't 20 hours like it's it's like 20 minutes worth of fun in a break time or something um yeah. Like it's definitely not twenty hours, so the fact that they're losing the saves just by using cleaning tools and stuff like that's kinda kind of expected really, isn't it? And there was that whole thing recently where every website had to do that cookie policy and I think they all wiped their 
every website to white. I don't know. I might be talking out loud. I, th- I, I think there was that big hoo-ha over cookies. I think you had to agree. Like there was an agree or disagree for that site to store cookies on on your computer. I don't know if it wiped anything though. If it did, mm. if it did, then Matt probably got like the whole internet screaming at him. Yeah. <laughs> I think he said he might have done. <laughs> but yeah, that was that was a really interesting talk, I think, uh, and, and quite different to the other ones. But yeah, it was really good. Uh, really good to meet him as well because he's a really cool guy. Yeah, very cool, very cool guy. Uh, so the other talk that we have was from Danny Parker, who works for Ninja Kiwi. Um, and his talk was really interesting as well, actually. It was kind of, again, really different to the other ones. Basically, what he was talking about was uh, going back to Action Script 2. Um, his talk was actually inspired by our friend Jay Armstrong here, who uh, he made a tweet a couple of months ago saying, Oh, Action Script 2 is so easy and so fun. Uh, and I think I said that- something like, I'm, I miss it. There I, there I said it. <laughs> and you missed something as well. It's award-winning Jay Armstrong. Don't just call him Jay Armstrong. Oh, Thank so you very much. Just get the award winning in. Oh, the award winning. Yeah, um, I'll keep you right. Anyway, yeah. So he basically like, just talk, did, went through his talk and was just sort of. It was kind of like an ode to Action Script Two, really. Just sort of going through how simple things used to be there. Like, sorry, how simple things used to be back then, and you could like attach a bit of code to a character and make him walk around, and then you could copy that character clip into a totally different game and the code would just work straight off the bat and it was really simple you could put together a game in five or six hours even like uh, and that's kind of gone a little bit with with action script three and the whole object orientated side of things um and yeah it's just basically i think the out sort of underlying thing in this talk was was the fact that games are about having fun and also making games should be fun and sort of that was really easy to do with action script 2 where there's kind of a lot of the hard work isn't there um, but yeah it was really interesting it was really interesting how he did the whole he sort of he took like his opening thing was he he took Jay's tweet and then turned it into a game of uh, breakout or something so he had to sort of bounce the ball with controlling Jay's tweet on and kill other uh, it's like knocking pixels off letters or something. Yeah, yeah that was really interesting. It was a really cool way of like uh, presenting it. The thing is, that's um, all a movie clip. So you could have just dragged it around anyway, didn't he? Just drag it in from another project. Bam, it works. Where's me code? But that that guy's super super smart as well. Like he's obviously totally capable of Action Script three and probably you know, coding to the metal and all that. But it's, it, it was cool to see someone that sort of technically proficient actually say yeah uh, AS2 was really good and it, sim- simple doesn't necessarily mean bad uh, that's the thing that's probably what I mean that's one of the things that makes him so good at what he does is that he he knows what he's doing and he's amazingly yeah. good I mean just yeah t- you know the, the um, balloons 2D 2D games are just, you know just must be so much work behind the scenes and that but he's just like well it should be fun you know why why shouldn't games be like rapid and and to make, I mean, games are fun. Why shouldn't it be fun to make a game? And um, I think that was sort of a pining for a, like a lower barrier to entry. Because I mean, that's that's one of the things. Like when I know um, Chris, I think you're the same as me. When we started, it was because you could just, all right, if I drew a little man, I can put some code on him walk. to make him move, and then that just helps yeah. you get your head round things. And um, I think it's probably much harder when 
when sort of action script two is completely gone to for just sort of hobbyists to just kind of get in there. I mean, luckily there are other great tools out there like stencil or game maker or things like that, but that's it's not quite the same thing as just learning how to code from experimentation. I, I agree. Yeah, and you really can just jump into action script two. I mean, even I can do a bit of code in action script two, and that's the same. <laughs> but it is like that. That's that's exactly why like I got into making games. Like it's fun. Like, I'd sit there in college and make games purely because it's fun. Like, I could make my own little worlds, make my own little things, and it was really, really fun to do. And kind of, if you take that away from making games, then what is it? You're just a programmer. Like, that's yeah, all you are. Like, monkey. you're just a code monkey um, when you're not doing any of the fun stuff of, like, game design and stuff. So, I think it's, it's a nice way to dive in. Definitely. Yeah. Definitely. It was it was a really good fun talk and it was quite really interactive and I think he made the point when quite kind of pro- probably better than he had intended because he had these two base jumpers and the point was that the code was somewhere in them. So he he sort of brought them over from a previous game and slapped them into the um into the uh the slide. Yeah. And yeah. instantly he could control them. So yeah, without doing any work, you know, his previous code, he's like, you know, I, I didn't expect that to happen, but it's because it's buried somewhere. He was somewhere. looking for it and he just can't find it anywhere. No, no, I can't but find I, it. I guess that's also the other side of the point is that the whole spaghetti code thing and, and the fact that actually he, he literally couldn't find where, <laughs> where the code was that was making. And that was a problem of action script too, wasn't it? Like, sort of, yeah. if you go back to a game after a year or something, it's really hard to tell, like, what, what movie clips have you attached the code to and, like, all the different, like, code on the timeline and attached to different objects. Yeah. It's hard to pull apart. Definitely, definitely very difficult to sort of build frameworks, which, like, yeah. actually, yeah. once you have a little framework, you can build out a game much, much more quickly. But it's just that sort of getting getting started, you know, something like AS2 is, is perfect. But then, like, I suppose once you're in the swing of things and you're constantly making games, actually having a class-based system that you've built yourself know inside out and can bring into other projects is, is probably pretty labour-saving. But um, yeah. it's just, yeah. it was just nice to, to just take a moment and remember Action Script 2. Let's, <laughs> let's give it a couple of minutes of silence. And Jen, I'm done with silence. <laughs> You know what we'll do is we'll, we'll edit in a one minute gap there, so we don't actually have to waste our own time. So uh, last last but not least, uh, we kind of we kind of did a panel, didn't we? Like uh, an open forum. Kind of did. We we did. Super indie panel. It was a dude. I, I loved it. Yeah, it was really good. It went I was right. very nervous right. because of the lack of preparation. Yeah, don't don't even be talking about preparation sandwich man. Preparation sandwich man. Let's, let's talk sandwich man. <laughs> Let's what? not go into the sandwiches. Oh, yeah, yeah. It may or may have not been the sandwiches. Let's set the scene. Chris is very, very unwell. He's, he's shaking. He has the fever. So he goes back to the room. Later that night, I think, oh, poor Chris. He, he can't be very well. I bring him a chicken sandwich. That'll cheer him up. Give it to him. Ends up throwing it across the hotel room. And the very next day, I wake up, put my sho- shoes shoes on, only to find that there's a huge bit of mayonnaise-covered chicken in my shoe. <laughs> Cheers, but Chris. to be honest, right, you wanted to go over the talk at half eleven at night, so that 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 automatically means sandwich to the face. <laughs> like, <laughs> I should have known. It's my fault. Sorry. I like how Colin called this a mobile frat house. That's yeah, so, so funny. I think we we <laughs> every time we see him, we've just been up to some some stupid. It's you guys, honestly. Just... It's not even me. I'm quiet. 
Chief Instigator, Chris Jack. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. No, I think it really well though in the end, didn't it? Yeah, I, I loved it. Like, I think we covered a lot of good topics, and I think we uh, we kind of spurred on some really great talks between people in the in the audience, which went down which went down in my eyes really really well. That, yeah. that was the, yeah. that was the thing about opening it up because we had so many smart people um, doing really interesting things, and of course, there's not enough time for everyone to get up and, and sort of give us their you know two cents. So for me, it was great to just sort of turn it on people and just say, well, what do you think? And actually, it went far better than I expected because we throw out a question and then someone would come in with something and then someone else had a different opinion. And, and before you know it, it was sort of 15 minutes and we're like, whoa, whoa, whoa okay, we've got to take yeah, control of this yeah. thing again and, and move, move things on. That's why I kind of think it was good that we didn't overprepare because if we did have a list of 20 different things that we wanted to get through and points we wanted to make, uh, it would have we would have had to, to actually get through that we would have had to cut people off and stuff and that's not really what it was about we just wanted to inspire conversation really didn't we and, and that definitely happened and, and a lot of people made some really good points um, so what were the main topics that we were talking about um, I think one of the things that we obviously talked about um, because you can't get away from it is like you know what's the future of making games in flash and doing the traditional sponsorship route? that you know, um, a lot of people have been doing for a while now. And um, something that kind of shocked me was I, I <clears throat> kind of expected, well, I threw a question out to the audience and I said, well, okay, guys, how many people are going to be doing this in so many years? And I thought maybe we'd get to three years, four years, but I said, who's going to be doing what any they're year. doing, you know, making year. just Flash games, no, yeah, yeah, just using yeah, a usual sponsorship funny. model um, in one year? And no one put their hand, I think one person put their hand up. <laughs> I just thought, oh my god, you know, everyone's talking about changes coming, but actually it's, it's I don't, here. I don't think so. I still think you can do this for a little long. I reckon it's got two years left in it. I think a lot of people were just totally uncertain. They didn't know if they'd be doing it in a year because they don't know which way the industry's going to go. I guess. That was like a kind of recurring theme, especially throughout that panel. It's just like sponsorship prices are dropping and ad rates are dropping and less people are playing games in browsers so where do we go from here like should we be making unity games or should we be just doing mobile stuff or stuff on ouya or now, that was kind of the sort of main topic of, of the panel there seem to be just as many people doing different things as there are platforms because every time we came up with a new platform like there was it was almost equally divided so it seems like no one has a has a definitive no answer. one does like that's 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 the thing like there isn't that kind of alpha platform out there at the moment like everything's so much up in the air kind of makes it an exciting time yeah it, it is exciting times like there's so much that we can do but like i'd, I'd like to say like as, as much as i think flash has got like i reckon it's got two years in it i don't think i'm going to be doing it for two years personally <laughs> like yeah the industry is definitely not like, going to die but it's not going to die but it's, it is slowly going downhill you can see it like we're seeing it firsthand with games that we're, we're pushing out there currently like you can see it it's, ha- it's kind of happening but I guess you, you, you'd still make it in Flash but you'd also have a mobile version and I think that sort of thing multi-platform is kind of makes much maybe, more sense maybe otherwise oh I'll just not do web and just move straight to stores maybe yeah I mean because there is that whole argument about what Matt was saying, the fact that releasing it on Flash did actually potentially harm his success on Steam. Because uh, as soon as you release something for free, people aren't going to want to pay money for it. Like, I, yeah, I, I do agree with that. I do agree with what he's saying. Like, it totally makes sense. But I've had complete different uh, experience with that. Well, obviously, with with Spaces Key kind of being a, a, 
free webcam yeah. and then coming out. Yeah. But that's on your mobile. mobile, so like people wow. want to play it on the move, and I think. That's but it's still mobile. it's the same thing. It's not like there's extra content in there though. Like the the principle's the same. If you put Spaces Key on Steam, no one's gonna buy it because they can just, just go on the web. They can just go. I guess the it's website. that kind yeah, of medium. Yeah, mobile is a different story, especially on iOS. People are willing to pay a bit of money to have the convenience of playing it on the bus or whatever. Mm. Uh, but, but yeah, as you say, like on Steam, well, you're kind of still sat playing on your computer. The only real advantage might be that you can play it in full screen or something. But even that, like for a game like Space is Key, I don't know if it'd be that much different to sort of just playing in browser. Yeah, so I guess it's the same. Whatever. It's the same medium, I guess. Like it's different than actual like, touching it on a phone than what it is just if it's on a computer, even if it's on Steam or if it's on the web. Like it's the same kind of, it's the same feeling because it's just same game on the same uh, medium but then again I guess maybe I mean it's too early to tell but maybe if you had it on a micro console I mean that's a whole nother question but Mm. I wonder whether it needs to be that different if it's going to be on a micro console but again looking at sales stats that people have kind of pushed from from say the OUYA like it still doesn't look that strong (laughs) I know yeah I think the main problem with that is the sort of actual how many people have the consoles, how many people are actually spending money on the consoles, which is a very small amount yeah. of the people, of the very small amount of people who actually own the Everyone's consoles. a developer anyway. The problem with that is, yeah, everyone that's got any is a developer already. Um, <laughs> they're not gamers, they're developers. So Find someone else's game when you can make your own. <laughs> it's just the- one, point, one point was that, uh, like, if you put a game out on Ouya and it does really, really well, like, for example, uh, Towerfall, that gained so much exposure for that game and you know a lot of people were saying sort of uh, Towerfall is worth buying New Year for and like, it's, it's meant to be that good that a lot of people want to play the game and that like it's now it's getting ported to PC and I'm not sure if the game would have had the same amount of hype if it was another PlayStation Network game you know? so I think there are definitely opportunities in those smaller platforms like New Year GameStick and so, someone said that I think in the in the um, someone said that during the panel was if you're on the first if you're on the first wave of games even if the console or, or whatever platform itself doesn't particularly do amazingly well you'll always be in that sort of list of you know the top ten of games you'll you'll be there first and so that'll give you exposure for other things anyway but I guess that's quite quite a risky well strategy. not really it was Danny who mentioned this. Um, it's not really risky like if it takes nothing to implement this and you're going ahead with them on launch they're gonna they're gonna you're gonna get the hell like loads of press because of it and if it does well or bad like you're gonna get press out of it Um, and if it takes nothing to actually implement stuff like that then it's not it's not too bad yeah I mean the is particularly good isn't it because it's um, it's it's yeah you can just upload an APK and pretty much gonna work pretty much gonna work but i mean i don't know if 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 it's always gonna be that easy i can't see why it'd change no no no, not for the ouya but for like the next new thing oh um well i guess it depends if he uses android or not really yeah so yeah it went really well i think um we also got danny parker from ninja kiwi and uh the bad viking guys rob and john donkin we got the donkin brothers the donkin brothers so i should say uh, we got those guys up on stage with us, and we sort of chatted to those them and asked them some questions. And that was that was really good as well. Lovely chaps. Yeah. Um, so we had the Donkin brothers sort of talking about 
mainly about their experiences with microtransactions. They, they gave a really good talk on it last year at Mochi London. Yeah. But uh, they did their game Bad Eggs Online, uh, which they saw a lot of success with. Uh, and yeah, they're sort of talking about that, talking about how, you know, if you charge $50 for a character skin, some people will end up buying it if, if the game is successful enough. And those items can like, be really profitable, I guess. Yeah, they were just sort of talking from a different perspective from the whole microtransactions and how that they you can still make money from that in Flash. But yeah, and it, all in all, I think the panel was was a success. Um, we weren't very prepared, but it went all right in the end, didn't it? Yeah, like you said before, though, I think the fact that we weren't prepared just made it so much better because it just allowed open yeah. conversation. It was free. Like we had some questions put down that we wanted to ask people, but half yeah. the time they were covered from people talking to each other in the, in the audience and stuff so mm. and it was good having um, uh, Danny and the Donkins up because they were doing different, slightly different things like slightly Flash related but a different way of doing it and um, one of the things I asked Danny was you know if, if you were to quit your job at Ninja Kiwi today what would you do tomorrow and I think he, he sort of said he'd just do what he was already doing which is to have a big um, community that you kind of build from Flash games and then have them feed into the mobile games. Yeah, and I think the Duncan Brothers sort of echoed something similar and it was also echoed by Matt in his talk is the fact that community can be really powerful. You know, if you have a strong community built around your game or your, your series of games then you get a lot more people who are willing to put money into your game and actually buy these microtransactions even if they are just trying to support you as a developer. But Particularly like, if you don't have a marketing budget or, or you yeah. don't have a very big marketing budget, then it's kind of built-in marketing. Well, it yeah. is like they're gonna buy your next game. Like all that you need to do is put a post out there saying, "Hey guys, look, we've just we've just released this game," um, and, and a lot of them are probably gonna go out there and support you and buy it because like they kind of you get that kind of quality associated with your brand, yeah. and these guys are used to it, so like they kind of know that if they pay one or two dollars they're going to get a certain degree of quality out of a game and they would kind of respect that as a player. And even like, you know, the, the Donkey Brothers have a forum up on their website along with to go along with Bad Eggs so people can contact them or like discuss things and they can post future updates and information and that stuff, just that sort of interaction with the people that are really into the game only encourages them to be more into the game, you know. Uh, so yeah. that, that that was one thing I took away that can be really, really powerful, which I haven't really done that much, to be honest, is try and build a massive community around something. Uh, so, yeah. Definitely something to think think about for the future. Didn't, don't you do that, Gia? Haven't you opened some forums and stuff? Yeah, I have. Um, particularly for, like, specific games. But what I haven't done is followed them up with sequels. Okay, so I think that's kind of been problematic. I had a, a game called Combat Hero Adventures, and I got a lot of um, like uh, people who were, who enjoyed the game posting on my site like constantly, and I had a really yeah a really um, thriving community. Um, and then I sort of never made the follow up game, which Great. I still have sitting out on my hard drive, which um you know I'm kind of ashamed about. But I've kind of got excited about other projects and this and that, and I kind of let it let it fall away, which is a real shame. And I've never sort of I haven't seen it again since, um, which is, you know, kind of kind of makes me sad panda. But um, it's definitely <laughs> something you should cultivate. Like when you have it, I think maybe I it was my second game, so I didn't quite realise how valuable that was. Mm. Um, so it's definitely worth putting up a forum, chatting to people, and a lot of the time, um, people 
really kind of appreciate you just saying, oh, thanks. You know, if they say, I like your games, and you say thanks, and they're kind of like, wow, yeah, that's, yeah. that's cool. I can reach whoever's made this game. And, you know, you just show that you're just a dude making games. And it's just really nice to make that connection and have people, I don't know, get that sort of positive feedback loop. Yeah, it's something you never had as a kid either. Like, I can't remember, like, playing games and being able to talk with the developers of them, like... I can imagine that would be insanely cool as a kid having that, but like, I can't really. I don't yeah, think I no, talked to anyone that I really like admired or anything when I was a kid. It's only, I think it's only been recently that you get like indie developers who are making a name for themselves, like with a, maybe a team of one or two people, and then they yeah. make something like Fez or Super Meat Boy or you know Minecraft or whatever that you actually can suddenly get these huge communities behind your games. Uh, I guess you know it did happen with like you know. You got people like John Carmack and uh, Romero and all those guys like back in the day who were working on small teams and they did they made stuff like Doom or whatever. But yeah. it's kind of a little bit. Those guys were sort of viewed as superstars, I think, and like out of the sort of reaches of a public definitely like, public reason. Definitely. So, what did you guys um, come away with from Mochi, Chris? What do you reckon? Um, I came home with flu. Uh, Pretty bad headache. And Super Indie Pals t-shirt. And it no, I already had them. Oh, you did. So like I guess I guess the day is really different for me than what it is from you because like I'm running around like a headless chicken trying to make sure like everything's going as smooth as possible. Um so like obviously I come away with some different things. Um but like overall I think the whole the whole idea of getting people who don't really have a voice in the community I'm gonna say um, people who don't really put themselves out there as much um, just stuff like events and uh, doing presentations everywhere like I'll use Matt as an example like he doesn't speak uh, at, at a conference or anything and giving him the stage for like half an hour is just like it's it's amazing because the stuff that he says um, the stuff that he shared was just yeah. it was just crazy like the stuff that people go home with like um, there's so much information that was shared in that day like you will never ever get that in any other conference um, it just it, it won't happen um, people are usually closed with data and stuff and the good thing about everybody that speaks at Mochi London like everyone's so open and so nice um, and I think you just come home with so so much stuff yeah it's always always like a group of really nice people it was great to like meet all the people from last year again and meet, meet some new people like uh, like Matt and Tony and Oh, there's loads of people I met. Like the guys, it's good to see the guys from Spill again. Uh, it's always such a good experience. Uh, and then there was also the game jam, which was really good fun. It's nice with um, it's, yeah, like things with the. So we had the game jam the next day, and people were just sort of hanging out, and it was kind of funny because a couple of the people we'd met at the, or I, I should say, I met for the first time the year before at Mochi 2012. And other people I'd met for the first time or seen again um, in San Francisco at FGS and GDC. And to sort of see them for the third time or the second time, it just, and you know, it just felt like sort of old old friends, you know? Yeah. One big happy family. One big happy family. And uh, it, it, people are just, as you say, so nice and approachable that you just feel like, oh, hey, how's it going? You pick up straight away and, you know, you want to hear about what's the latest thing they've done and the game jam particularly was just it just reminded you that um the people you're talking to are seriously talented and passionate about what they do because some of the games they came up with were just seriously cool seriously man that day there was so many good things like 
Danny's game. I've never played a game like that. Game was the most ridiculous beat 'em up game ever. It's so so good. Do you wanna do you wanna let the listener let the listener into the world of Danny Parker, what he created? So yeah, like um so like before I'm gonna say this, like um, I'm gonna do a recap on Mochi London anyway, um and I'm, I'll throw that on, on my blog. Um and on there I'm gonna actually get everyone's game from the game jam, so Anybody who wants to play these games that we're going to talk about, um, they can. How cool is that? Great, that's cool. So that's Danny's pretty game. much a plug for your website, then, wasn't it? No, well, it's going to go on. <laughs> it's going to go on Mochi Land as well. But once I it's mean, up, we'll stick the link in the bottom of this episode. Yeah, see. And um, and I'll be having a write up on jarmstronggames.com as well. So, <laughs> what about artjump.com? Is there anything going up on there? Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> see, so, yeah, um, talking about Danny's game, like Danny made a, a beat 'em up game. Um, like Tekken kind of style um, but it was just like he used a scorpion and it was a polar bear wasn't it yeah um, that were just like taken from google images and kind of chopped up so like the punch animations and stuff were just chopped up and it just oh, it was so so funny fun. that game was amazing um, there was that uh, I can't remember what it was called now but the guys that those unity guys made uh, like a four player multiplayer game um where you kind of have, you have umbrellas and you need to sort of bounce raindrops at each other. And that was really cool, actually. It turned out well. Those guys were the last people working. Jim, what did you take away from Mochi London 2013? Um, Flash is dead. Nah, I, I think it is time to maybe be thinking about different platforms and stuff. Uh, Unity's kind of never been more viable than it is now, especially since they've added the whole 2D framework in there that will work natively you don't need to sort of hack in 2d you can do it natively uh so i just think now there are so many opportunities to sort of break out of the flash sponsorship model which is slowly dying whether you like it or not um yeah it's just for me it's more like just about going and meeting different people and i always just come away feeling so inspired you know like especially when you work from home and you don't really see people on a day-to-day basis like it's just really refreshing to go and meet a load of really like-minded people and you've got loads to talk about with them and share your different ideas and stuff and that that for me is what it's mainly about but i did take a lot away from the talks as well it sounds like you took away the same thing from what you learned that you did from fgs <laughs> like Pretty seriously much. like it sounds exactly the same thing it was just a bit more sort of I think I came away from FGS and went, oh yeah, in-app purchases and microtransactions and mobile. And I'm not that keen on in-app purchases. Uh, I'd rather just make a cool game and sell it for a small amount of money. Uh, I think that's sort of more the direction I'm moving in at the moment, but we will see. We'll see. But How yeah, about you, Jeff? What did you take away? I think I'd, I'd mirror that, that... Um... San Francisco, I came back thinking about all these different amazing possibilities and they're all exciting and now I feel a bit more serious about it. Um, maybe making, you know, flash games with the multi-platform side of things and um, just trying to do that as soon as possible. But um, I guess one of the main things this time was it felt much more social to me, right? whereas the previous time I felt like I was networking. Now I felt like I was seeing you know, people that I, I like and admire and um, it definitely felt like a, a lot of fun. So I guess I would take away that the people who go to Mochi London are pretty awesome people. Yeah, yeah, like the community is amazing. Roll on next year, right Chris? We'll see. 
We'll see. Will we? We'll see. Well, maybe. Who knows? We'll see. There's still time. You just recover from this one and then see if we're going to do do another one next year. Hopefully we oh, will, but there'll be something anyway. Honestly, it's I, there'll definitely be something. Like uh, I just want to see everybody again. Like it's it's awesome being able to hang out with everybody, like-minded people, like-minded mates. Um, but much in London yet. It takes a lot of time to to kind of put together, and we'll see. Really, like I'll have to kind of sync up with with uh, the mochi guys, like maybe sometime next year, early next year, and kind of see where we see where we go from here. But we, you never know. Do you know? Uh... Do you know what my highlight was? What? Sandwich. Seeing you guys again. Oh, thanks, man. So that wraps it up for the Mochi London 2013 wrap-up. Um, next week, we have a very special guest indeed. We have Chris Condon from Con Artist Games, um, maker, of course, of the Last Stand series. Speaking of strong communities, those guys know what they're doing with that, don't Yeah, they? right. Absolutely. So we'll be... Um, Picking his brain and finding out what makes Conardus games as awesome as they are. So stay tuned and stick with us and come back in a couple weeks and we will have a brand spanking new episode up for you. Thanks for your time today and I hope you enjoyed it. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. If that's not enough for you, um, and we are very social, so you can find us on Twitter, twitter.com slash superindiepals. Um, if you want to listen to past episodes, go check us out on superindiepals.com. And we're also on Facebook, facebook.com slash superindiepals. All right, guys, that's it for us. See you next time. Super Indie Pals.